Book Three, Chapter Eighteen of Resurrection. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cole, Medway, Massachusetts. Resurrection by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Louise Maud. Book Three, Chapter Eighteen, Neverov's Fate. When, following Katusha, Nekhludoff returned to the men's room, he found every one there in agitation. Nabatov, who went about all over the place and who got to know everybody and noticed everything, had just brought news which staggered them all. The news was that he had discovered a note on a wall written by the revolutionist Petlin, who had been sentenced to hard labour, and who, every one thought, had long since reached the Kara, and now it turned out that he had passed this way quite recently, the only political prisoner among criminal convicts. On the 17th of August, so ran the note, I was sent off alone with the criminals. Neveroff was with me, but hanged himself, in the lunatic asylum in Kazan. I am well and in good spirits and hope for the best. All were discussing Petlin's position and the possible reasons of Neverov's suicide. Only Kryltsov sat silent and preoccupied, his glistening eyes gazing fixedly in front of him. My husband told me that Neverov had a vision while still in the Petropolavslovsky prison said Rintseva. Yes, he was a poet, a dreamer. This sort of people cannot stand solitary confinement, said Novodvorov. Now, I never give my imagination vent when in solitary confinement, but arrange my days most systematically, and in this way always bore it very well. What is there unbearable about it? Why, I used to be glad when they locked me up, said Nabatov cheerfully, wishing to dispel the general depression. A fellow is afraid of everything, of being arrested himself and entangling others, and of spoiling the whole business, and then he gets locked up, and all responsibility is at an end, and he can rest, he can just sit and smoke. "'You know him well?' asked Mary Pavlovna, glancing anxiously at the altered, haggard expression of Kryltsov's face. Neverov, a dreamer, Kryltsov suddenly began, panting for breath, as if he had been shouting or singing for a long time. Neverov was a man, such as the earth bears few of, as our doorkeeper used to express it. Yes, he had a nature like crystal. You could see him right through. He could not lie, he could not dissemble. Not simply thin-skinned, but with all his nerves laid bare, as if he were flayed. Yes, his was a complicated, rich nature, not such a— But where is the use of talking, he added, with a vicious frown. Shall we first educate the people, and then change the forms of life, or first change the forms, and then struggle, using peaceful propaganda or terrorism? So we go on disputing while they kill. They do not dispute. They know their business. They don't care whether dozens, hundreds of men perish, and what men. No, 
that the best should perish is just what they want. Yes, Hudson said that when the Decembrists were withdrawn from circulation, the average level of our society sank. I should think so indeed. Then Hudson himself and his fellows were withdrawn. Now is the turn of the Neverofs. They can't all be got rid of, said Nabatov, in his cheerful tones. There will always be left enough to continue the breed. No, there won't, if we show any pity to them there, Nabatov said, raising his voice, and not letting himself be interrupted. Give me a cigarette. Oh, Anatole, it is not good for you, said Mary Pavlovna. Please do not smoke. Oh, leave me alone, he said angrily, and lit a cigarette but at once began to cough and to retch, as if he was going to be sick. Having cleared his throat, though, he went on, what we have been doing is not the thing at all, not to argue but for all to unite, to destroy them, that's it. But they are also human beings, said Nekhludoff. No, they are not human. They who can do what they are doing, no, there now. I heard that some kind of bombs and balloons have been invented. Well, one ought to go up in such a balloon and sprinkle bombs down on them, as if they were bugs, until they were all exterminated. Yes, because— He was going to continue, but flushing all over, he began coughing worse than before, and a stream of blood rushed from his mouth. Nabatov ran to get ice. Mary Pavlovna brought valerian drops and offered them to him, but he, breathing quickly and heavily, pushed her away with his thin white hand, and kept his eyes closed. When the ice and cold water had eased Kriltsov a little, and he had been put to bed, Nekhludoff, having said good-night to everybody, went out with a sergeant, who had been waiting for him some time. The criminals were now quiet, and most of them were asleep, though the people were lying on and under the bed-shelves and in the space between, they could not all be placed inside the rooms, and some of them lay in the passage, with their sacks under their heads and covered with their cloaks. The moans and sleepy voices came through the open doors and sounded through the passage. Everywhere lay compact heaps of human beings covered with prison cloaks. Only a few men who were sitting in the bachelor's room, by the light of a candle-end, which they put out when they noticed the sergeant, were awake and an old man who sat naked under the lamp in the passage, picking the vermin off his shirt. The foul air in the political prisoners' rooms seemed pure compared to the stinking closeness here. The smoking lamp shone dimly as through a mist, and it was difficult to breathe. Stepping along the passage, one had to look carefully for an empty space, and having put down one foot, had to find place for the other. Three persons, who had evidently found no room even in the passage, lay in the ante-room, close to the stinking and leaking tub. One of these was an old idiot, whom Nekhludoff had often seen marching with the gang. Another was a boy about twelve. He lay between the other two convicts, with his head on the leg of one of them. When he had passed out of the gate, Nekhludoff took a deep breath, and lung continued to breathe in deep draughts of frosty air. End of Book 3, Chapter 18